You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 67. Today's topic, White Ribbon Against Pornography, 2013. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahovia. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, when we have a conversation about human trafficking, it's a conversation that at some point we do need to also have about pornography because pornography is very closely related as as we know and as I think we mm-hmm. should probably spend some time talking about today because it is time that time of the year where we turn our attention to this issue through the white ribbon campaign and uh, you've just really educated me in the recent past on this movement and so I'm really excited for our conversation today so we can learn more about this and also just talk about some of the things going on online and with pornography, and there's some crazy statistics out there, but there's also some things we can do about this. I'm And I, um, as I travel, as I speak at conferences, and I talk to parents, this is on their mind. They want to know how to protect their kids. And I think I think you've got some, um, some really interesting insights into how huge the issue is. Indeed. So I've uh, pulled some information here that Sandy shared with me and taking a look at some of the recent studies. And uh, Sandy, I know you're more familiar with the source of this article than I am. So I'll, uh, I'll actually let you uh, well, cite this, the source first and then we'll talk this about particular, some This particular article is a white paper written by Josh McDowell. And the title is An Insidious Intruder is Out to Destroy Children's Faith and Morals. And this was published in 2011 and it's part of the just one click away campaign and we will post this um on the show notes great so i'm gonna read one paragraph here from this and this is i think a some some really important statistics for us to be aware of sandy so uh the author says out of two billion 267 million internet users so let's see that would be about one-third of the world's population, approximately. That's a lot of people, Dave. It's a lot of people, though it, still two-thirds aren't on the internet. But it is, So approximately a third of the world's population is using the internet. An estimated 43% of those view porn. A study has shown that 70% of the 18- to 24-year-old men visit pornographic sites in a typical month. And of 8- to 16-year-olds, 90% have viewed porn online. Uh, and it says in parentheses, most well-doing homework. Of 15 to 17-year-olds, 80% have viewed multiple hardcore porn exposures. So that's a lot of people, wow. the vast majority of the well, user base and, and the that, internet. that parenthetical phrase that you said, most well-doing homework. Um, so it's not really even an intentional thing often at the beginning. And um, are there are there some things we can we can do for our kids in our homes so it doesn't become an accidental discovery. Yeah, and so I think there's probably two pieces to this, Andy, is is one is how do we reduce some of the accidental exposure, um, and also how do we 
probably the larger conversation is then how do we handle this this situation when you know kids do have more resources and more choices as far as what they can do and how they can get access to things. Um, I do have one one helpful tool mm-hmm. for those of us who have small children in our homes and are looking for one way to help prevent this. Now, many computers, uh, mobile devices these days do have parental controls on them. They are uh, range from very easy to very complex to set up depending on the device and the manufacturer. Um, I, it would take us days to go through all the different options for that. But I do want to mention one resource that I uh, a lot of people in the tech community are aware of, Sandy, but I don't think a lot of people in the general population are really familiar with. And one resource we use is called OpenDNS. Um, DNS is a essentially a phone book for the internet. Every time you call up an internet web page, um, your computer goes to a phone book online and looks for where that site is and directs the traffic to get there. Um, by default, you use the one for your internet service provider. So if you, for example, have a you know service through your cable company for internet, you use their phone book. Well, you can set up an account at opendns.com and you can set up a free account and use their internet phone book. And it's great to do anyway because it actually improves the, the speed of your internet connection. So it's a great thing to do regardless. But the other really good thing you can do is once you've done that, it configures your router and your in your home, and you can then control all access points for what people have access to. And one of the things you can block is pornography. You can block gambling sites. You can you can pick and choose exactly what you want blocked. You can monitor access in your own home if you choose to do that. So there's a lot, so that that can really substantially cut down the accidental exposure, especially for young children, because you are controlling everything in your house now. As soon as you so, step out of your house, that's... that's. So when I come in and I have my iPad on and I'm using your wireless, yep. then I'm protected. You are. Yep. On our Wi-Fi. You, you would not, it would be very difficult for you to accidentally get anywhere. It'd wow. be very difficult for you to intentionally get on a pornographic site because it would just say, this, this is blocked in this location. Well, and, and the idea of not having to take care of every single device in your home, how many devices are in the average American home in any case that have internet access and that's wireless or otherwise? A, a lot. Our thermostats, Sandy, connect to Wi-Fi. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, if you add it up, it's, I mean, easily we're 15 or 20 devices just in our house. When you think of all the computers, the phones, all that. And so, yeah, it's really a pain to go and have to set settings on all those. So open DNS is a great way to um, control everything at that one access point. So something to look into if you haven't already. So it's opendns.com. I'm going to go home and do that tonight. Yeah. So yeah. it's, um, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's the it, thing it's, to talk to your, your, the person you know who's tech friendly. and the, This is, this is really, really important because many of us have... Um, at the beginning of our internet experience, developed practical ways to be more uh, responsible. But that side of my life has grown so much faster than my own personal knowledge. And Mm -hmm. uh, McDowell calls that a a revolution, what um, social media revolution. Yeah. And so this is another really interesting set of statistics here that's in the article is, you know, um, he does some comparison between just where we were 10 years ago and where we are today. The, this research is from 2010. So in the year 2000, uh, 
I can't help but think back to like that uh, Conan O'Brien sketch. Did you ever hear <laughs> In the year 2000. Oh, Did you ever there hear you go. No. Yeah. So, in <laughs> the is year this two- one of those whack-a-mole type um, pop culture things I should know? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I spent way too much watching time watching Conan O'Brien in 1999. Uh, um, so in 2000, uh, the average time spent online was 2.7 hours per week. Uh, today, it's 18 hours per week. So that's a nine, you know, eight or nine time fold wow. increase uh, from, from So that. your risk of for a kid it, of accidental exposure to pornography has um, skyrocketed. Yeah. Well, just by just exposure by, time. Just by exposure time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, when you think about it, the more time you spend online, the more likely it is you're going to run into something. So right. that's, that's just, uh, that's just kind of how it is with that. Um, in, in 2000, hundred million daily Google searches today, 3 billion daily Google searches. Um, no, no Twitter in 2000 today, 33 billion tweets a day. Uh, YouTube wasn't around today. 4 billion YouTube videos are seen daily. Uh, you know, how many people on Facebook? No one in 2000 today, 845 million. Wikipedia wasn't around today, 21 million articles. So the world has really changed in the last 10 years. You know, we think about things like Google and Yahoo and all those resources. A lot of those weren't around, you know, Google was around, but in a lot of things weren't around 10 years ago, life really has changed a lot. Well, and whenever we have cultural changes that are even technologically based, if you think back to when we moved from the horse and carriage to um, a car, uh, there were people who were resistant to that. It wasn't safe and they were going to stick with a horse, but eventually um, we all had to learn how to drive safely. Right. And we developed, we have laws, we have regulations, we have penalties when you don't follow those rules because everybody's safety is at risk. And this is um, in the beginning of cyber exploitation uh, prevention strategies. Those of us interested in protecting children often looked at this of, okay, we have to teach the kids not to do this and Mm -hmm. not to do that. And don't, don't, um, we just had a lot of no rules and I don't know, your son is how old now? A year and a half. year and a half. Two. Okay. So, yeah. but, oh, but pretty soon he's going to start challenging your authority mm-hmm. and saying, no, you're not going to make me do that. Yeah. So, already happening. Yeah. There you go. And it's all part of their developing their own personal identity. This is a good thing. So we have to look at this, um, from the perspective of how do we instill positive messages that tell them what to do more than just what not to do. Yeah, and that's why Sandy, I'm you know as as great a sort as great a tool as something like OpenDNS and a lot of other tools out there is you know I, I hesitate to mention it even at the top of the show here because it only solves one part of the issue. Um, you know, it it does prevent some of that accidental exposure, particularly like when you have young children in your home, Mm -hmm. like that's a lot less likely kids are going to get online and see things. Um, It's not going to do a darn bit of good though for, you know, say you have a teenager and the second they step out of your house and you're not on your, you know, under your control of your network and you go to a friend's house with your device, very, very, or you just turn off Wi-Fi on your device. You could even do it in your own house and get Mm -hmm. on a cellular network. It's so easy to work around those things. Um, So once a child has more of their own independence, they understand how technology works a little bit, uh, they have friends, which they all do, 
then the the no things the the what you can't do is not going to be enough they have to have learned the the you know how they can effectively navigate a dangerous and, world and that's really um that that was really something that one, the whole idea about talking about numbers i get blown away when i think a third of the world is online yeah over two and a half billion people um but in 1987 just one woman um, left her Catholic parish one day concerned about the message that she'd heard about pornography and decided she wanted to do something. So one person, her name is um, Norma Norris, decided to start the White Ribbon Against Pornography campaign. Just one woman. And now this is a huge campaign that is promoted by dozens of organizations like um, Morality and Media and Porn Harms and Focus on the Family, lots and lots of people. And at Global Center for Women and Justice, we've been observing White Ribbon Against Pornography for five years. Uh, some of our conference participants now are starting to do this out in their communities. And I just talked this week to a pastor out in Marietta. They are putting white ribbons on every tree on their campus oh, wow. on Sunday. And they are having white ribbon against pornography as as a value. And I love it that it's not a dark ribbon. It's not black. It's not red. It doesn't have any of those connotations. It's just a white ribbon. So we want to keep things clean and pure as best we possibly can, which is a positive image instead of a negative. And one of the things I really like about this particular article um, is that we... We quit making it about um, blame and guilt, and we start looking at the harm to the individual. And as mm. a you know, as a healthcare professional, I've um, I've read a great deal about this in the past, and it sometimes seems a little complicated to explain what happens physiologically with pornography addictions. But just a few a few effects that are cited here from a testimony to um, a U.S. Senate subcommittee by Dr. Jill Manning. Um, they list the effects on children and adolescents when exposed to pornography, lasting negative or traumatic emotional responses. Now, trauma, that is an image that is difficult for a child possibly to know whether this is is real or not, um, that has a lasting impression. Earlier onset of first sexual involvement, that seems pretty logical. Increased risk for developing sexual compulsion and addictive behavior. Increased risk of gaining an incorrect and out of context view of sex. And the objectification of another human being for selfish sexual gratification. And of course, those of us who have been fighting human trafficking, we look at at pornography as like marketing for sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire that's already burning out of control. And so reducing pornography um, reduces just by nature the harm that comes to potential victims that would be exploited because of the... Um, 
outcomes of pornography. And we've talked a lot on this show, Sandy, and uh, and certainly Laura Letter, who's been a past guest, has talked mm. a lot about demand reduction. So, you know, we can rescue all the survivors out there we can find. Um, but if we don't do something to address demand, then uh, people are going to find another way. And, uh, and unfortunately, people are going to find a way to make it profitable. And so this is one of many ways that the center has looked at now to how can we raise visibility and awareness around this issue of demand. And, and this is one this is one avenue to do that. Lots of times we don't quit doing something because of our honor and value for somebody else. We quit doing something because it has consequences for us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the other consequences that they've documented in this study, 40% of sex addicts lose their jobs. That's that's high. 58% suffer considerable financial loss. And pornography increases marital infidelity by 300%. Wow. Um, the, the, um, the studies show that adolescents who view pornography um, have issues with loneliness and depression. They have a very difficult time understanding true intimacy. And this then is a consequence that they may carry through the rest of their lives. So that's the bad news. That's the bad news. We want to look at some of the good news, what you can do. Yeah. So we've looked at one already, opendns.com. So Mm -hmm. we'll get a link to that in the show notes. And, uh, and if you go there and you're overwhelmed by that, uh, Try you know find someone who's tech savvy who you know and uh, have oh you mean them... like my eleven year old neighbor yes yeah exactly yes have one of your kids set up the uh-huh. <laughs> monitoring service uh-huh. um, but in all seriousness have someone if you know it is not the it's not like going on and creating a um, you know uh, an iTunes account or something it, it it's a little more complicated than that so if you're not comfortable with that you know talk to someone who's tech savvy have them set it up for you and once they set it up you know it's pretty much then it's pretty easy to manage uh, going forward. So don't let that intimidate you just if you go on there and you don't right away feel comfortable uh, doing a few of those steps. So that does walk you through it. It's, I'll yeah. let you know how successful I am. Please, so, please do, please do. So here's here's what we would like to recommend. We think parents need to take the initiative. I was shocked recently to hear a um, an internet crimes expert from Los Angeles saying um, that the majority of parents have not taken the initiative in their homes of setting up the parameters for internet safety. And those numbers depends are, are really kind of fluctuating. The bottom line is you're the parent. These are children. Their brains aren't done. You've listened to me talk about that over and over again. So it's our job to protect our kids, not just to tell them once or twice not to do something. Right. So providing a safe place. And then making sure that children who are starting to come to an age of understanding what this is and what it's about, making sure that they actually have the knowledge to understand that in, a, in an age-appropriate way why this is risky and why even though other people may um, ex- consider it socially acceptable, it isn't acceptable and the, there's consequences. And just like we don't want you to have cavities, we make you brush your teeth, uh, we want you to have a healthy, happy adulthood. So this is the rule. Yep. And we're going to keep you um, healthy and 
it's about social, mental, physical, and um, spiritual health. The, a great source of, of really good information is the Medical Institute for Sexual Health. That's medinstitute.org. And this is a way for parents. They provide a, a lot of resources for parents to encourage you and help you be informed and, and make sure that you can teach your kids in age-appropriate methods. Another another issue, and I, I love it that we have the opportunity always to go back to our foundation, our biblical foundation, and keeping the perspective of modeling truth in our hearts and minds in front of our kids. We make this a part of their values. We remember, um, I think one of my favorite scriptures that I memorized when I was a little girl was in Deuteronomy. First of all, I was really proud of myself that I learned how to say Deuteronomy. <laughs> um, but it says in chapter six, these commandments shall be on your hearts and you shall teach them diligently. And I, I remember the, um, the Sunday school back in the days before we had all this digital stuff, we had flannel graphs in Sunday school. You had what? Yeah, see, people don't even know what they are now. But they would be nice little pictures that you could put up on on the board and you can move them around the people. Oh, and and so we would we would do this Deuteronomy six thing with the parent and the child and um they would wear things on their wrist and on their heads and they would write things on the wall, on the doorposts, just like it says in that in that scripture. Because it and it and we'd talk about talking to your kids and they're laying down and they're getting up and they're walking. So it was an all the time as you were going kind of experience. It wasn't once a year during White Ribbon Against Pornography, we sit down and have the talk about internet porn. It becomes something that we do every time there's an opportunity to um, point out what is good and what is true for kids so that they begin to understand the healthy side of things, not just looking for the bad things. And Sandy, I know, um, and you may be getting to this as a resource too, but uh, you know, our, our son is very young still, but I know the parents that we know who have older kids have some, you know, re- you know, the ones that I feel like are doing this well, have regular conversations with their kids and regularly have, an agree- you know, have agreements with their kids about what they're monitoring and regular, regularly check text messages. And there's just a, it, it's a, open conversation in their families about how that's, that's all going to work. That is so key because first of all, it is in relationship. That's number four point here. So you're teaching this not to somebody else's kids, but it's somebody, uh, it's your own kids. And we yeah. don't farm out the internet safety for our families. We take responsibility. And I've had parents say, well, I don't really know anything about that. Well, this is the um, time for you to start to learn and this is our responsibility. I remember when my kids were in school and they brought homework in math, and math is not my strong suit, but I'm getting out my books and I'm looking at, okay, I have to remember the algebra equations for this because I want my kids to do well in school. Yeah. So there are some things that I'm going to learn that may not be at the top of my list that I'd like to learn today. And I'll do that because I want my kids to be healthy and safe. Yeah. And, you know, think about it from the standpoint of, you know, the work you do and the professional uh, contributions you make to the world. If someone asks you or your employer asks you to learn something new, you would go do it. Um, Well, 
don't we care about our families and our kids even more so than you know our, the organizations that we serve? And so it's our responsibility to go educate ourselves. And if we can't or, or you know don't have the ability to grab onto some of that information, let's go find somebody who knows that well, or even hire somebody. I mean, you could hire someone who knows something about technology and have them come over to your house. And you know, a few hours goes a long way as far as getting you up to speed and setting up the systems that would at least help with part of that. And then of course, as you point out, Sandy, having those conversations is important too. That goes a long way. Uh, well, and, and we, we should take the responsibility to do that. The, um, when you're talking about having that conversation, one of the rules has to be there is no question that is off limits. Because if you have a, a trusting, loving relationship with your kids, then they should feel free to ask you any questions. And when they um, they feel shame and guilt so that they aren't able to talk to you. And I, I had a conversation, I was kind of testing some of this um, this past week with students um, in one of my classes. And to a person um, all around the table, um, this wasn't really something we talked about in my home. Mm. Um my mom wasn't comfortable if I asked questions. So I asked my big sister. My dad didn't really uh, want to go further than this is blah, blah, blah. And so when there is so much knowledge available to kids, we want to make sure that we're the first ones there to plant in that fertile soil of their, their minds and uh, their hearts with really good solid high value um content so yeah because if they don't get it from us what they're going to do next is uh go google it exactly and imagine what you pull up on google see especially if you don't have any controls or and there's no and there's no um nothing off limits on google no you no one is standing over your shoulder and there is nothing off limits so if they can't ask you you're right they're going to go google it yeah. Or check it out on um, Bing or what some of the other ones now. There's so many we have to be. Uh, but Google is like a word now, right? Yeah. yeah well, Not and it doesn't, you know, they all, you know, for better or worse, we all have this you know, great, great uh, open internet experience, you know, that's not very controlled. And so we all have this wonderful access to information and allows this show to get to you. And, you know, this exactly, I think it's great how much we are all empowered with technology and with power comes, you know, responsibility. And if we don't, you know, manage that well, that access to information, and especially for young people in our lives, it can be used very poorly as well. Well, and that reminds us back to the whole idea of whenever there's um, a change in technology, just going from a horse and buggy to a car, now we have roads where the vehicles go by very quickly. Do we stay on our block and never cross the street? We teach our children how to safely cross the street because the school is three blocks away and they need to cross two streets to get there. Um, We teach them and we start teaching them. And this is the sixth point. Start young. We start very, very young. We, We do this with them. We don't send them out and say, okay, son, when you get to the corner, I can just see Luke getting ready to go to kindergarten. And Dave gives him the three point plan. When you get to the corner, look both ways, stop, look one more time, and then step out. No, you are going to be with him across that street 
not just the first time and not just the second time. I imagine it'll be a long time before you let him start crossing the street by himself. And then you're going to be standing there watching him. Yep. And you're going to be there when he's coming home to watch again, because that's what training is all about. When, when we talked about prevention strategies, um, and I did the three P's of prevent, uh, predict, understand what the risks are and the risks change constantly now. Um, I loved the Tracy Webb. We're going to invite her. She's in LA and the uh, crimes against, uh, against children unit. And she must have said 15 times in a 20 minute presentation. Um, there is no privacy on the internet. There is no privacy. So mm-hmm. you, you have to understand that. So the idea of teaching our kids that the risk for someone who isn't part of your family finding out where you live is important. So predict, and you can go back and, and see this, um, go back and listen to this podcast, predict, protect parents, and then practice. Take them out, walk across the street over and over and over again until it's a habit for them to do it in a safe way. And I really like the analogy, Sandy, of the, the busy street you know, it's a reality that's a danger in every child's life. And we all teach children how to utilize that. And But we certainly wouldn't lock up kids in the house and say you can never go outside, Mm-mm. you know. Um, and yet people do that with the situation with the internet is they'll lock down their internet or they'll they'll be very restrictive. No, 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 you can't do any of this. And then kids go next door to the neighbor's house or at school or wherever they are with friends and none of those those obstacles are there, and so they have not learned how to then adapt, how to how to be able to manage themselves in a different environment where you don't have control over those resources. And I think that it's foolish to assume that every parent or every organization has taken the necessary steps to monitor and control and do all those things because we all know that they haven't. And if you're looking for some good um, tools for uh, that are age appropriate, as usual, we're going to send you to netsmarts.org for lots and lots of resources. Excellent, excellent. Well, Sandy, I uh, really am glad we've had this conversation because this is an important campaign, an important thing for us to all to know about. And I hope that you will stay connected with us too. And if this show's been helpful to you, two things that we'd love to have you do. One is to hop on our website. That's at GCWJ. Dot vanguard.edu. You can actually join our newsletter at the bottom of the site there. Um, it's also a great way to give us feedback too. GCWJ at vanguard.edu is our email address, or you can reach us by phone 714-966-6360. And Sandy, we've had some wonderful reviews on iTunes from people who oh, listen to Oh, read one to us. Oh, I don't know if I'll have time. I don't have oh. it pulled up, unfortunately. Okay, but, um, okay. Next time. We will do it next time. Uh, thank you if you've done an iTunes review. It helps other people find us, and please do submit one if you haven't already. Thanks, everybody. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, Dave.